What's going on, everyone? This is your host, Charming, for your Econ Hangover podcast. What's up? If you guys are liking these tunes, this is a, a channel that I really recommend that you can follow for free on YouTube. It's called the Chill Hop Radio Jazzy Beats slash Lo-Fi Hip Hop. I'll put a link in the description so you guys can check it out. And also, if you're an artist, if you got your own songs, if you want to have some help with promoting these songs, shoot me a direct message at my Instagram, just under slash charming under slash 13, which I'll also put in my podcast. And we can help each other out. You put your good tunes and... um, you get to participate in the Econ Hangover podcast. All right. So, um, it's in today's episode, we're going to talk about the history of science, part two, uh, that we were talking about, Karl Popper. So, if you didn't watch part one, um, go back and watch, please, because uh, some things that we're going to say there, that we're going to say here, we said there. So, if you guys don't watch part one, you can get a little lost. Although it's, I don't think it's like an obligatory thing because we're going to enter in some different uh, theories and some different thoughts of Popper. So it's mostly just so you can have a broader background. At any rate, let's just keep going and you guys will catch up eventually. So in the last episode, we talked about the FTIC, which is the formal test of internal consistency, which is... Um, in an oversimplified way, it's when a researcher he has to get his results of his studies and compare with uh, with different studies with his colleagues to try to find evidences that his conclusions are falsified. So we talked about this in the last episode. And why does research researcher has to do that? One of the first things is to avoid biases because like it's very common when a research study comes from a really uh, recognized institution, people just take it for granted. Or there's even kind of like the ego of the researchers that they think that they reach a certain level that they don't need to compare their results with other people and with other studies and with other literature. And they just publish thinking that they have somehow the omnipotence of <laughs> saying that what they're saying is true. But... There's an entire episode that we talk about this, so please, if you guys think this is cool, go back and watch the part one. And in the part two, now we're going to talk about another cool thing that Karl Popper said, which it's called the Historicist Doctrine of the Social Sciences. So for short, I'm going to name it as HDSS, so I don't have to repeat this long name every time. So what does the HDSS talk about? Well, the thing about the HDSS, which practically I think that everyone that follows economics and everyone that reads economics, either in the news or either as if like, you know, reading books written by economists or textbooks, you always come with the same conclusion that like, uh, it's very different what economists say in theory and what happens in practice. And especially if you work with investments or if you work with something that relies on real-world scenarios, you see how much the theory sometimes, sometimes it happens, sometimes it 
it's given like what they say is true, but sometimes it's just it's just you know like textbook uh, mumbo jumbo or something like that, or just test textbook um, like mental masturbation. And we get and I see a lot of people complaining, saying like, "Hey man, like we cannot trust economists and and blah blah blah." So Popper has actually a statement. I wouldn't say that it goes for theory because like. Most of the things that Popper wrote, at least from like from what I read and from what I researched about him, uh, he didn't like formally like wrote as if like the HDSS, for example, he, he created like in a in an article like the theory of the HDSS or something like this. Most of the things that I see from Popper, they're like just like uh, philosophical essays, which he uses some of these terms. And we, the readers, we have to, you know, get them on so we can characterize and ca categorize what he's saying. But basically, he's just, like, writing as if it is in the middle of the article. It's something kind of similar to what, like, Adam Smith said about the invisible hand. Like, if you read The, the Wealth of the Nations, there nothing, there's nothing, like, explicit about The Wealth of the Nations. There's not even a chapter or a subsection. It's basically, like in the middle of a paragraph, and people think it made sense, so they use it nowadays even as a jargon or something like that, so it would be kind of like the same thing that Popper does. So the HDSS says that, like, in the contrary from uh, the exact sciences, for example, like, like in chemistry, physics, um, you know, hard math, engineering and you name it like all these exact sciences um, the social sciences which are uh, usually like anthropology economics come on guys economists I know you guys like mathematics I like mathematics I said economics as well but let's be truthful it is a social science it deals with people it deals with society although there's some advanced math in there but in the end, it deals with people. So it's a social science. Um, what else? Sociology, psychology, you know, all the social sciences. You can even add some of other ones like law, communication studies. Anyways, you guys got the grasp of it. So what Popper said, it was that in the social sciences, the social scientist, he has a different role from the conventional scientists. Because like the conventional scientist, for example, that works in chemistry, he will go to a lab, he will have a controlled environment to make tests, to, to make observations, hypotheses, and, you know, like run that thousands of times until he can control all the variables and put them into a control environment, which he can result, he can have results. For example, he'll test variables A, B, and C, and he wants results uh, D, E, F. And then he will run as much needed experiments that he needs until he reaches the conclusions that he wants. And he will manipulate the environment. Let's say, like, for example, test tube. He can mani manipulate the test tube in order to create a certain chemical that he wants to create. The problem with the social science sciences is that we cannot control society. As much as we want to control society, we can't. 
of course, there's some, some, you can say some arguments, for example, no charming, like, you know, like mass media can control people's thoughts and people's, and people's actions and behaviors, or the government can do that. Yes, it can, but it's still, it's not in a precise manner. Because even if people are easily manipulated by marketing, advertising, government, you never have a 100% a concrete, a concrete evidence that what you are manipulating will happen. It will depend on different variables. And we're going to name it a few. For example, culture, it's one of them. Uh, the economic classes that you're, you're targeting your product, let's say, uh, the country, you know, like the country has geographical boundaries and sometimes it's some things you cannot market through because of that is challenging. Um, the political situation, you know, and there's a thousand variables that we can think of. And if we just sit here thinking, I'm going to run out of time. But you guys got the grasp of it, right? So that's that's what the HDSS says. That on the contrary, from conventional scientists, social science, scientists, they don't have the control over these variables. So everything you do in the social sciences, as much fancy it can be, for example, in economics, we always see kind of like this ego clash in which like uh, economists try to predict um, social patterns through mathematical models, for example, through uh, monetary and fiscal policy. Uh, if you if you open a book of advanced macroeconomics, you'll see thousands of complex models for how uh, monetary policy should be implemented, for example, or how fiscal policy should be implemented. Of course, like for monetary policy, for example, it's uh, it's a little bit more empirical because like you're dealing actually with like the numbers and things but still like the the output as if i'm saying the output of the society how people will react with a decrease or an increase in interest rates that would be sub subject to the unknown they'll be subject to um infinite variables of what can happen you can even have like some kind of benchmarks that that through like data that we get through history that give you like some kind of some you know like certain scenarios that we think that will happen but still like every time you mess up with this too much you see that it comes always like new patterns emerge and like new behaviors emerge and things change in the political sphere that's a really i think what's more evident in fiscal policy so it's basically that. So, I mean, I think that Popper really complained about this kind of this arrogant feeling that, that you know, like the social scientists have is that in academia, like the way that you study, that you go to, to, to classes and you write papers. And I think this gets much more evident and much it's reinforced especially if you go to graduate school for example if you're going to do a master's or or a phd and if you're like living too much in that paradigm you would really believe that you have the the power you have the greater knowledge 
to use a certain kind of parameters and models that that will reflect in reality as much as they can reflect in a theoretical background it doesn't necessarily mean that society that society will will react to what you're writing to to what you're modeling it's it's not like for example people that write like uh, scientific papers on medicine for example they spend like i don't know like a year two years testing a new drug and they test them like tirelessly for like for two years and they run a thousand of experiments and and once they do all that experimentation they come up with like a solution for example they come up with a vaccine and uh later they write a paper and it's like here we got all the evidence that this helps to fight this certain disease and when it's for like for economics or some like social sciences it's all kind of based on observation and sometimes even on speculation and doesn't matter how fancy your model is or how good in math you are the thing is that society doesn't care i mean society was just like was just like act it will it will behave in an unforeseenable way always even if you think you're in control i can understand that people has arguments against this and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to find a fight with the with the academic departments of social sciences i'm just saying that what popper gives to us by this pretty obvious observation i mean i think that is so interesting that sometimes like one of the, like the smartest people that we consider they pretty much just say the most basic things in a fancy way you know it's like it's pure common sense let's 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 be honest right it's just like it's pure common sense but we always need somebody that is a badass and has a phd title to say this stuff for us so we can become truthful quote unquote blah 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 but i mean this is the thing this is observation of popper the coolest thing as a as a as a master student in economics that i see is that it's good to make us humble you know because we're bound to believe especially when you're in academia that you have some kind of like profet persona that if you use if you go the certain journey you can predict everything and we see how it always happens like it's not always that an economist he's able to to predict what's going to happen and sometimes they miss the mark really by by a lot and it's the consequences later another point that this is outside of what popper said but it'd be interesting i always say this i know i mean i i know that in theory it's kind of easy there's like other things to consider but i always thought that it would be really interesting if economics would consider putting uh war strategies like uh like war strategy theory into their studies because i think that like like anything that that you plan no matter like no matter how much you train how much you prepare yourself beforehand at the time of the the d day you know things would go different you know like like one little variable can change 
all the outcomes that you predicted previously. That's pretty like, we see a lot of that in sports, right? Like you see like sometimes, or in a test, sometimes you train yourself, sometimes you prepare, like for example, in math, I think this is a very common thing. If people, people went down and got more interested in math, uh, like you study hard, you do a lot of the exercises, but you never know what's going to happen in the exam. And once you get an exam, sometimes you can be lucky and it will be, it will be down everything that you, you, you studied. Or sometimes you can be unlucky. It will be just like 20% of what you study and you're screwed and you're like, oh my God. And that happens a lot in sports. You always see like in sports, like there's always those guys that they, I mean, I used to play a lot of sports when I was a teenager, so, and I did a lot of competition. I used to play basketball in high school. So, like, that, I, I saw this, like, countless times. Like, these guys that they played really good in, in training and the scrimmage and the drills and all that, and they're really, like, really, like, superstars during the training, but sometimes they'll get into the game and they'll choke. So, there's those kinds of things. And Clausewitz... Clausewitz used to say what I just said now about that no matter how much preparation planning at the time of the war things would always turn differently even like even if it's just for the environment like if it like you didn't predict that like today would rain and then starts raining then the battle will, will go totally different you know and uh, I think economics has a lot to gain from these kind of wisdoms and I know they're more like subjective sometimes but i mean i think from this kind of perspective it will help us to be more flexible because i see a lot of times that for example a government or like um or even a private institution they implement a plan for for example like to, for a private institution like to maximizing profits to investing in these stocks or in a government by doing this government plan to i don't know like to cut taxes something like that and when they start going through their plan things turn out totally different and everyone gets lost and it becomes all that drama and like oh my god what are supposed to do why things happen and i see that all the time and i don't see a lot of pragmatism you know so he had these strategies of being more flexible when when when, you know shit hits fan and we were supposed to like adapt to whatever happened and to you know like to have this quick thinking this quick this quick quick feet you know like to go there and solve things at the at the h time you know this where where strategy really works this is how things are really achievable how things are how things are are done you know in the end but at any any rate i think i'll give it give it a little break about popper because uh, it's pretty much like Popper has a lot of other things, but I also think that it's important for me to introduce you guys with other thinkers. Probably maybe in the future, um, I can come back and talk more about Popper. There's like some really cool things that he wrote and some really things that it can be really beneficial for us in economics. But uh, I would like to introduce some other guys for you in the future. Probably I'll talk about Bertrand Russell and people like that. You know, the philosophers of science. And also, I don't see like a lot of, you know, like a need to me to come here and talk about the history of the philosophy of science. Because there's countless 
videos on YouTube about that and with people that have much more, uh, you know, credibility to talk about this than me. What I'm trying to do here is to get a little bit of that information and break it down for what is important for us. If you're, you're an economics person or if you're a finance person or a business person or an entrepreneur or something like that. All right. Okay, guys, so I'm closing up for this episode and I'd like to say a few things before I leave. Okay, so uh, guys, please give me a follow in Spotify. It's free. You just got to go there and type Econ Hangover. It will appear there. It's with the logo from the show. You just got to press the green button follow so I can continue to make more free content. And soon we're going to come up with some with some other stuff in the internet like in social media so just like stay hooked up because we're going to pass them to you and follow me on instagram because in instagram i'll i'll put stuff there too probably more in the future i'm contemplating creating an instagram just for econ hangover but i'm fine with just giving out my private my private one um so i'll be shooting stuff there too so if you guys want to you know check on that that'll be really cool So, at anyways, guys, thank you for listening, and I hope you guys have a nice week, and take care. Bye-bye.